Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. My co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this on Monday, April 20th, 2020. So much bad news these days, Aaron. I feel like we should start with some good news. Okay. On our last uh, episode of Marvelous Disney, uh, we mentioned that probably by the time we were recording our next podcast, there'd be a premiere date for season seven of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And mm-hmm. you can mark your calendars, folks. Arrives on ABC on Wednesday, May 27th. And now, just to be clear here, Aaron, this isn't going to be one of the Grey's Anatomy situation. Did, did you hear what happened with the most recent season of that nighttime drama? Grey's Anatomy, never seen an episode, don't know a thing about it outside of its its uh, anatomy that is lacking color. <laughs> no pigment in, in that anatomy. It's all gray. Well, what wound up happening with season 16 of that nighttime drama was obviously a COVID-19 shutdown production. So... They were supposed to shoot 25 episodes, and they ended on their 21st. In the case of Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, you know... It's already in the can, right? It's done, so they don't have to worry about that? That's it, exactly. That when it got picked up for not only season six, but they got a season seven, but the key was that both seasons had to be shot back-to-back, and so they started production in July of 2018, these shows have been in the can for almost a year and a half at this point. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to predict here within uh, about a year and a half from now, mm-hmm. we're going to end up seeing the repercussions of COVID when ABC launches Who Wants to Be a Marvel Superhero? <laughs> and it will be kind of like an American Gladiator, but kind of more gussied up in superhero spandex type things where they put you on wires and fitting you from one building top to another. And if you don't soil yourself, you, you did a good job. But yeah, because like there's not going to be any writers to prep anything. I mean, you know, the the whole industry is kind of on pause right now. So whenever COVID stops, if we go six months to a year after that, they're, they're not going to have any material that they've been working on during that time. So there's going to be a little gap and they're going to end up having to do a reality show. That's what it boils down to because they're cheap. You just mic some pretty people, have them do something silly for a couple, you know, for a season and boom, you're done. It doesn't cost very much because there's no celebrities, no script. How much television have we been watching lately that's been produced via Zoom? Right. You've been right about so many other things. I'm reluctant to call you out on this one. While we're talking about start dates and the like and COVID's impacting things, word coming out of Columbia Sony that Spider-Man 3 is still on track to begin shooting July 13th start date for what's supposed to be a three and a half month long shoot. And... Amy Pascal, the producer of Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home, just confirmed that the third film in this series will, in fact, have the word home in its title. And if you're a betting person, Spider-Man Home Run might be a smart bet. Of course, that would be if Las Vegas were open to take bets. But, But Aaron, you had a different theory? Well, I think, you know, if they play with the whole COVID angle, they could do Spider-Man work from home. Mm -hmm. And the first, you know, 20 minutes is him stitching a mask in his mask that kind of filters out all of the the germs. And then he goes swinging around the city to save the day. Oh, oh, you were killing me. 
Now, She-Hulk, on the other hand, that's supposed to go before the cameras earlier than that, July 6th. But this actually could happen because two hours before Aaron and I recorded the show, Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia, and let's remember that Marvel Studios has that giant complex in Atlanta, he just announced that starting on Friday... The state of Georgia will begin reopening for business with uh, gyms, barbershops, nail salons, and bowling alleys opening first, and then theaters, private clubs, and restaurants reopening on the 27th, so the Monday. That story actually makes me wonder because Disney has available to them, was it a Fox studio in Australia? It does, it does. So I wonder if Australia happens to, I'm not keeping track of numbers, so I'm not even going to guess, but Mm -hmm. if Australia happens to kick COVID before we do by a month or two, Mm -hmm. I wonder if Disney would try and produce something in Australia, but you've got a kind of like a green zone where you can work. Oh no, It's not shut down. God, is is Shang-Chi... And the Legend of the Ten Rings, isn't that shooting in Australia? And Maybe that's the thing that gets pushed forward. Mm. Wow. Um, but, but it also would just mean that if, well, whatever's on the schedule, I mean, because I'm sure that they're booked beyond just the movie that's there right now. They're not going to wait for that thing to leave before they book another studio to, t- you know, to, to do a thing there. They don't want empty stage space ever. So the minute something is struck, you know, something else is moving in. So I'm sure they've already got something else lined up. Uh, so if, if they can roll, get Shang-Chi in, out, the next thing comes in. But it's the thing after that, you know, in the pipeline. Do they have a slot there maybe where you could uh, shift a project from U.S. over to Australia and save some time while we're still recovering or what, whatever the case may be? I can't remember if it was Variety or, or Hollywood Reporter that literally talked about the production traffic jam that starts the second that it's like, okay, you can get back to work because so many shows, so many films were left in the lurch. And it then it's going to be this triage situation as to which 800-pound gorilla gets what studio space because, right. you know, for, for three, four, five, six months, things have been at a standstill. So, yeah, you're probably not wrong. You know, a lot of things may go out of the country or go to – whatever available soundstage space there is. Doubling back to She-Hulk for a second, did you see the interview that Mark Ruffalo did for Variety late last week? Or No, what's he chatting about these days? Well, he's, of course, out promoting a project, but the interesting thing he brought up is Professor Hulk, the iteration of the, the character we saw at the end of Endgame, that supposedly that character may show actually show up in She-Hulk. And that, that what he said is like, look, there's nothing in place like it's a done deal. There's some talk about having Banner Hulk show up in the Disney Plus series She-Hulk. If we come up with something that's good, that, that would be really interesting. That's all that's on the table right now? It doesn't need to be anything that's good. All they need to say is, oh, She-Hulk needs a blood transfusion. The only one that matches her blood type is her famous cousin, uh, Bruce Banner. Uh. And then he comes strutting onto the scene. And, hey, guys, how you doing? They play the little Hulk theme. da 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 Tip the hat, walk off stage. I mean, the the show's not about Hulk. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is, it's a glorified cameo or, you know, like one show, mm-hmm. or, you know, one episode he might appear in or two. Mm-hmm. But it's not his show. So it doesn't really 
you know, in the end, it really doesn't matter, right? I don't know. Does no, it? I, I, I get that. But remember Kevin going on at length about how the limited series for Disney Plus and the theatrical movies will, will interlock. And But you, you and I talked on the last show about how that plan, you know, that sort of came crashing down to earth. The other thing that Ruffalo talked about in this interview is he has a really sincere desire to do a standalone Hulk movie. But, you know, you and I have discussed at length how it's Universal that controls the feature rights to Hulk, that as long as, you know, Ruffalo's version of Hulk is perceived as, as more of a supporting character in mm-hmm. one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, Universal's willing to turn a blind eye, I think, largely because, you know, whenever Ruffalo's Hulk appears in a movie, they move that many more Hulk toys at Universal Orlando it's on Superhero Island. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. No, after after the way that Sony's been, you know, yanking back and forth on Spider-Man, you can have him. No, you can't. He's ours. Okay, we'll share him for a little bit. Like, it's a bitter custody battle. I don't think that Marvel's too eager to entertain that with another one of portion of their properties. True. If it's already sour in one place, you don't go, oh, yeah, ooh, that's sour milk. Let's go find some more of that and guzzle it down. No. <laughs> Okay. Oh, speaking of things that probably won't be happening anytime soon, we've, we've talked at length about the Anaheim uh, Avengers campus uh, that was actually supposed to open on July 18th, but uh, Disneyland Resort has since changed that to coming soon. While they were putting in that coming soon, Aaron, they actually finally released a description of the Web Slingers, a Spider-Man adventure ride. And I thought they've already described it. You you do a digital thwip and you catch little robotic bugs and it's on a ride. Ah, what did they want to describe there, about that? How, what you do on the ride and what actually happens on the okay. ride. Okay, this is the breakdown. Web open house goes haywire. Embark on an action pack adventure alongside the amazing Spider-Man. When Peter Parker's helpful but otherwise buggy spider bots get stuck in replication mode and escape from a web workshop, Peter must stop the rampaging robots before they wreak total techno havoc on Avengers Campus. The problem is they're rapidly leveling up and becoming tough to beat. Your task, hop aboard a web slinger vehicle and help weave a frenzied web to trap these friendly neighborhood sidekicks in true Spidey style. It's up to you to unleash your inner hero and save the campus from total chaos. Perfect for up-and-coming recruits with no height restrictions. The warning about the attraction, though, is that it involves spinning, areas that are dark, scenes that are loud, and it is staged mostly indoors. Now, sounds cool. Look forward to riding this thing. Downside is that California Governor Gavin Newsom just last week, when asked about large sporting events, concerts, and the like, he suggested that it could be as late as 2021 before it's safe again for, for large groups of people to get together. In fact, that's actually why pretty much a day or so after he made this statement, for the first time in 50 years, San Diego Comic-Con got canceled. It's not disconnected from you know this sort of announcement and the fact that it looks like it's going to be a while before the Disney parks open up, where the Disney stock price has really been taking a hammering. The 52-week high for Disney company stock was $153.41 per share 
As of tonight, when the markets closed at 4 o'clock Eastern time, Disney company stock was trading for $102.26. So it's lost roughly a third of its value from its height. And the interesting thing is its height, Aaron, didn't come when Endgame was out in theaters and making $2 billion, but rather back in December when Frozen and Star Wars uh, Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker were dominating the holiday box office. That's when, you know... Uh, <laughs> That's when toys were also on sale for both boys and girls. There you go. There you go. Because Frozen <sighs> skews one way right. and Star Wars skews another. Although with Ray, it, it does skew kind of both boys and girls a little bit more than it used to, mm. which is cool. But yeah, I mean, the I think Avengers was mostly a, a bunch of boys, although it was chock full of female heroes, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got that superpower pose. Uh, but uh, the, it seemed like on the toy side, when it came to Avengers, uh, Avengers was mostly the boy toys mm-hmm. and lacked a lot of the female heroes. And so I think when you get with Frozen, uh, you, you'll get, you know, a healthy dose of toys for the girls. And then with Star Wars, with Rey leading the way, you also have toys for uh, both boys and girls. And then on top of that, it's Christmas time and the movies are out and it's a frenzy so, yeah, hopefully they were making money hand over fist. If they didn't, they did something drastically wrong, Jim. Okay, but again, I, I want this to, to be more of a positive show. So another of the limited series that Marvel Studios has in uh, development for Disney+, Plus, uh, Moon Knight, is still scheduled to begin shooting in November. Also, the Marvel's What If, the, the animated series... That Marvel mm-hmm. Studios is, is producing for Disney Plus. That's still staying on schedule, though. This week, a lot of Marvel employees, along with other, just to stress here, all other divisions of the Walt Disney Company, were furloughed. But the animators who were working on What If can work from home, so they're, they're proceeding with that show. And 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 speaking of from working from home, there's there's a, a rumor making the rounds right now, Aaron, that Marvel head Kevin Feige recently reached out to John Krasinski uh, via Zoom to see if uh, this actor director would be willing to come work for Marvel Studios. Problem is the story diverges. That there's one variation of this rumor has Feige offering Krasinski the role of Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, in a reboot of Fantastic Four film franchise. Well, the other variation has uh, Feige offering Krasinski, who co-wrote, directed, and also starred in last year's hit horror film for Paramount, A Quiet Place. He's been offered the opportunity to uh, direct a movie for Marvel Studios. And while we're talking about directing, did you see where Sam Raimi, in an interview with Coming Soon, just sort of let it slip that, oh, yeah, I am, in fact, directing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And you had a story associated with that, too, right? Or Well, you know, you got to throw rumors on top of that bonfire of information. So, of course, if Sam Raimi's going to be confirming that he's directing, that means that Bruce Campbell's involved somehow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the rumor is, why not use that mega chin for evil? <laughs> So, yeah, what if what if we had Bruce the Chin Campbell come in as the villain for Doctor Strange 2? Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny because in the little bits of 
special footage on the Spider-Man DVDs from the Sam Raimi days, Mm -hmm. Bruce Campbell says that he is the true nemesis of Spider-Man throughout the films because he's the the guy at the theater that won't let Peter in to see MJ's play. And he's also the ringmaster in the wrestling thing. And ends up naming him Spider-Man. The human spider. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it would be cool to have have Bruce back. I mean, I mean I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. So why not have him into the MCU in some big flashy role? Mm-hmm. I'd almost rather see him as a hero so we can see more of him. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't... I, I don't like when they get a great villain and then they just throw him away after one movie. I would like to see him, you know, kind of stick around like Loki has. You know, we we need more foils for our good guys to tussle with besides just one movie. I get that. I always love Bruce. You know, just... <sighs> but anyway, uh, getting back to this John Krasinski news here, and maybe it's not an either or. Maybe, I mean, long as we're, we're again, throwing rumors on the bonfire, maybe... Kevin Feige has offered John the opportunity not only to play Reed Richards, but also to to direct the Fantastic Four movie. Hell, maybe they, they, he's also invited him to write the script, though. Maybe he offered to let him work the sandwich part for the other people <laughs> who are working on the films. Well, I, 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 I mentioned the script because you, you shared when we were pre-gaming that, mm. that wonderful story about Taika and uh, Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah, so Taika is a playful chap, isn't he? Oh, God, yes. In fact, by the way, what is it? Uh, season two of What We Do in the Shadows Yeah, is back, and i got to get around to watching that. I so enjoyed the first season. But anyway, you were saying. So uh, Taika took a photo of the script that he was working on for Thor Love and Thunder, and it just so happens that this photograph revealed the, the return of Tony Stark. And I will read you the words between... Thor and Mr. Stark. Thor starts off with Tony. Tony replies with, what's up? (laughs) You're back. Back in the sack, baby. But how? I saw you die. Science. Also, Thanos is back. (laughs) Son of a bitch. No. So we're assembling again? 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 It's go time. Everyone who died is coming back. And this time, we're avenging even more than ever. From now on, we'll be known as the Avengers. Uh, yeah. So get ready for the Avengers. No, no, no. It's But that that was the... Everyone got all, woo! Uh, panties in a twist. Tony's coming back. And Taika shut that down real quick. And it was, it was a joke, guys. Come on. I'm being playful. And he put this out via Twitter? Or how did he put uh, it out? It was... On, uh, I want to say the Instagrams. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Because that's the, the fascinating about uh, part of the area we live in now, folks, that what these directors can do and how they can reach out to their fan bases or the, the, the Marvel fan base through Twitter or Instagram. And, and in fact, when we get back, we're going to talk about what James Gunn has been sharing on Twitter. And oh my God. Is he getting fired again? <laughs> No, he's not getting fired. But okay, good. Before we get to what he has been doing, you wanted to take a moment, Aaron, to talk about what you'd like 
Marvel Entertainment to start doing with the Marvels, right? Well, it's too late for the Marvels because Marvels, the series, is already a, a done thing that, that's out there and you can't get any better than what they gave you on that. Well, you can technically, which mm -hmm. is what we'll discuss here momentarily. The sound they did on these, the both the Wolverine things and Marvel's podcasts have been really superb, just wonderfully well thought out. So as I was sitting there listening in glorious rapture with my headphones on, the only way that this could get any better is if they actually did a binaural recording of all of this. And essentially a binaural recording is if you can imagine two microphones and they've actually got ear flaps and they're spaced ear width apart of a human head mm -hmm. and you record in an open environment and sound that comes from behind you is partially blocked by that flap of skin that we call it ear. So it doesn't sound the same as if something were coming from directly in front of you where both ears then funnel the sound into our cranium. Or if it comes from the right, only one ear funnels it in and your brain goes, aha, it's coming from this direction because I didn't get any input from the left side. So when you record binaurally, you basically have a dummy head with two microphones where the ears would be inside the head with two flaps that look like ears. And then you place the actors around them. And then what happens is you don't need any fancy gear. You don't need any special decoder. You put on a set of headphones and it's 3D sound, left, right, above, below, in front, behind. And it's so, so cool. And it doesn't take any technology to record it except the microphone. So Marvel, next time you're working on a podcast, take it to the next step, please. Record everything in binaural. It will be so awesome. And if there's any people out there that want to discover what binaural could be like, Stephen King's The Mist oh. was recorded back in the olden days on in binaural. And it is so cool to hear the sound effects slithering behind you and make you turn around. And it is, oh, it's creepy. Oh, it's creepy. The only weird part about it is they're trying to convey like a, an image. So it'll be like, oh, look out at that 13 story tall spider coming at you. Like they say things in an awkward way to try and convey what's happening. Mm -hmm. So they, they speak rather unnaturally sometimes when they get very flowery with their adjectives of description. But the sound design all around it and the characters acting in a space really puts you in a, in a place and it can be creepy as all heck. So Marvel, yeah, I want to hear Galactus from like, you know, half a block away with his booming, I am eating the world voice. That would be so cool. Mm, I agree. Wow. That would be fun if they could do that. Speaking of fun stuff, again, James Gunn and Twitter, I guess what I don't entirely understand here is that James Gunn got fired from doing Volume 3 of Guardians of the Galaxy back in July of 2018 because of tweets. And then Disney eventually decided to hire him back in March of 2019 because he was felt that, that James was sincere and, and contrite and that he had learned his lesson and he would not go on Twitter anymore. And that really just is not the case because James seems... To live on Twitter, and don't get me wrong, he's doing some delightful stuff, especially if you're a Guardians fan. I mean, he's he's really oversharing 
but at the same time in a tantalizing way, not in a I'm spoiling the movie for you sort of way. For example, just in the past week or so, he was asked, given what's going on with the pandemic, is what's going on with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? And what he said is right now, the plans for Volume 3 exactly as they were before coronavirus. And then he got asked about, what about Rocket? You know, are you finally going to do Rocket's origin in Volume 3? And he just went on to say that Rocket is a big part of what's happening in the future. And a lot of this stuff, like the scars we're about to see in his back, that scarring in his back is something that he's been planning all along, that the cybernetics that, that were apparently placed painfully in his back. So, you know, people began asking him, well, all right, is there going to be a Guardians 4? And he was like, if the first one was successful, I had always hoped that it would be a trilogy. So I had ideas for where we'd go with two and where we'd go with three. But, you know, as far as he's concerned, it ends there. There won't be a, a volume four on his watch. I have to look up what is the first trilogy, because I think that ruined Hollywood language for creative process mm. forever. I mean, I get that a, a play is traditionally in three acts, mm -hmm. but that was supposed to be your damn movie. Yeah. And so when you start talking in trilogies, you're automatically talking in nine acts, mm -hmm. not three acts. You know what I mean? I wish that they would just do what the story dictates versus, well, we got to do three. No, I, you know? I, I get that. I do. And in fact, somewhere in this recycling center, I laughingly call my library, I've got a copy of the original script for Godfather 3 which actually started out, appropriately enough, in Las Vegas. The, the Tommy character that Robert Duvall played, the Godfather's sort of adopted son, is retiring. And it's an entirely different take on the story. And they have this wonderful setup. You know, it's, it's set in Vegas of the 60s and the 70s. And they have the, the, I forget the name of the singer who's basically Sinatra, but he's a headliner in Vegas. And they're having this big party with the family. And they present Tommy with the Godfather's desk, you know, and he's visibly moved by the fact because he knows what this is and he knows what this means to the family and that sort of thing. But they wrote a legitimate trilogy that for some odd reason Duvall didn't want to come back or wasn't, I think Coppola wasn't willing to pay Duvall what he thought he would, uh, should make. And so he wouldn't come back and they began rewriting, and the, the project basically went into the toilet at that point. But And now Disney has learned from those lessons, and they <laughs> sign you for a quarter of your life on the first meeting. That's good. Oh, what's your name, Chuck? <laughs> Chuck here, let me sign you for 19 movies. How's that sound? Three TV series, 17 guest appearances. <laughs> Chuck? <laughs> I, 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 you know, you got to wonder what sort of contract Chris Pratt has signed with Disney. I mean, you know, you Kevin know. Feige carries one in his back pocket. I mean, it's almost ripped his jeans open. It's so thick, but he carries it in his back pocket. That could be. Oh, oh, oh speaking of which, Gunn was asked about what fan reaction continues to mystify him. And he just, he talked about the fact that so many people don't seem to realize that the reason that Peter Quill is so adamant about being called Star-Lord is that's what his mom called him. You know, this is about reinforcing what my mom said. It's not necessarily about ego. On the other hand... But his mom was a little cuckoo. She thought she did it with the spaceman. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you know... We, we get to that, too. 
Gunn also got asked about what his favorite scene was in the original Guardians. And what he said was, it's the moment in the movie where Drax reaches out to comfort Rocket after Groot's sacrifice. And what he said, it's my favorite moment in the movie. I cry every time I see it. I'm teary now. It's probably the first time Rocket has ever experienced physical tenderness in his his life. And the, the way he sinks into and accepts it kills me and makes me love Drax all the more. But let's see, what other uh, fun things that they reveal? Oh, when Peter has called the group together and is trying to motivate them, finally Rocket stands up and says, yeah, we're a bunch of jackasses all standing in a circle. That line was actually ad-libbed by James's brother, Sean Gunn, who uh, a lot of folks, of course, will know from uh, his work on the Gilmore Girls, but he's, he's the poor guy who's been on the set wearing the green suit standing in for Rocket for, for all of these products. Also, uh, Gunn talked about when he hired Karen Gilliam, who uh, Dr. Who fans would know as Amy Pond, for the role of Nebula. He told Karen at that time, like, look, your role in this movie really isn't that big, but if everything goes according to plan, you're going to become a guardian. And what's interesting about watching the first movie is she's so evil it's hard to believe that, you know, that character over a couple of movies is going to make this huge turn. But as Gunn says, I'm a complete sucker when it comes to redemption arcs. By the way, Aaron, I, I wanted to share this story because, again, you've always had this theory. I mean, I'm always the guy who talks about, you know, how Marvel plans these things out years in advance. And Gunn just talked about this. But at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that comes together on the fly so he gets a question, you know, as part of this quarantine watch party from a Peter Hurley who asks, was it tough trying to figure out the perfect way to introduce the Infinity Stones for the first time for most MCU fans? It, it seems like a, a, a big responsibility to try to nail it. And this is what Gunn admits as part of this uh, Twitter feed. We didn't know at that time it was going to be as big a deal as it turned out to be. And then Stephanie Cerati, who worked on effects in the film, chimed in and said, Ooh, remember when we shot the film, the stone was red, but we had to turn it into purple late in post-production. And Gunn comes in and goes, Oh, yeah, God, I forgot about this. It's true. I think it was because halfway through, Marvel decided that the thing in Thor Dark World was actually a, a power stone. And so they couldn't keep it red because that had been red. But in the end, Gunn thought it worked out because he's, I like purple way more. And they asked Gunn, what song has yet to make it into one of your movies that you're raring to use? Perhaps even in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And he came back and said, she's gone by Hollow Notes. It almost made it into volume two. And then, you know, he ended with a shocker. Somebody asked, is someone going to die? in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And he said, yes. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a Guardian that's going to get axed off. That just means uh, maybe the bad guy will be a disposable bad guy. Okay, and, okay. Uh, well, a, then, a one use. Then like let's hope it's not Bruce use. Campbell. By the way, folks, though, if you like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Len and I uh, spoke at length on this week's Disney Dish about the Mission Breakout attraction 
at Disneyland Park, or excuse me, Disney California Adventure. But again, that's on Disney Dish with Lentesto. We also have Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We have Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. Uh, we have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, which I just recorded a new show with. And we have I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. If you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media. And on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And Aaron and I will be back soon with another Marvelous Disney. Till then, take care.